All right, if you would, please get a Bible, and let's go to the book of Galatians together. Matthew, Mark, say it with me, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, right there. And when you found uh, the letter to the churches at Galatia, say, I got it. Oh, not there yet. Okay. Come on, Pastor. I'm just putting down my cups. I'm trying to get put down the Lord's Supper cups, and now I got to get my Bible. Praise the Lord. Hey, before uh, we go to the Word, I just want to say a word of thanks to uh, all of the participants uh, that help us to uh, worship the Lord through music. So all of uh, all the uh, singers and players and all the AV brothers and sisters, thank you all so much for. Uh, helping us worship the Lord. Amen, church? Absolutely. Amen. Matthew, good job, brother. Thank you for annoying your parents as you played the drums as a teenager. And thank you, parents, for putting up with him, banging the drums in the house. It was, yes, it was loud, yeah. <laughs> Amen. So Charles Swindoll tells the true story of what happened to a uh, close friend of his when he was a youth worker in a church, and this particular church had Scandinavian roots to it. And being a rather forward-looking and creative young man, uh, this friend of Charles Swindoll, he decided he would show the youth group a missionary film. So he was a youth worker at this, this church. So he decided to show them a missionary film, and um, this was a... Um, a simple, safe, black-and-white, Christian-oriented film, okay? Well, the film projector hadn't been off for an hour after uh, words before a group of the leaders in the church called him in and asked him what he had done. They asked this youth worker, did you show the young people a film? And in all honesty, he responded, well, yeah, I did. We don't like that, the church group of leaders replied. And without trying to be argumentative, the youth youth worker reasoned, well, I remember that at the last missionary conference, our church showed slides. How many of you know what a slide projector is, right? Click, click. I'm, I'm losing the youth now. Slide projector, what's that? You know? Well, one of the church officers put up his hand signaling for the youth worker to stop talking Then in these words, he emphatically explained the problem. Quote, if it's still, fine. If it moves, sin. He continued, you can't can't show slides, but when they start moving, you're getting into sin. Wow, that's one of the church leaders. (laughs) Listen, Churches are filled with people like that. Churches are filled with that kind of thinking, that legalistic thinking. Legalism was one of the very first errors that seeped into the church, listen, soon after the apostles died. Very quickly, very quickly. Listen to the advice from church leaders in the second century. You ready for this? Listen to church leaders' advice for church members that need to forsake the world and follow Jesus Christ. A new Christian asked, what must I forsake? Here's the answer, quote, first, uh, second century, quote, colored clothes for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us to attempt to improve on his work. (laughs) Beloved, to me that sounds like more like the Taliban than Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Seriously? How can we avoid being like that second century church leaders or second, uh, second century churches? Because this legalism thing is really sneaky, really sneaky. How can you avoid being a legalistic husband or a legalistic wife? Parents, are you raising your children 
to become legalistic? And how would you know if you are or not? Could it be that you're a Sunday school teacher at this church and there might be a little bit of legalism in your Sunday school teaching? Well, what is legalism? So that's an ism. Maybe there's someone thinking, well, what is it? I give you, I give you a couple pictures of it to kind of feel it, right? See it, hear it. Here's what legalism is. You might want to write this down. Legalism is when people add to God's word in order to either obtain or to maintain God's favor. That's what legalism is, all right? I'll repeat it. It's when people add to the word of God in order to gain or maintain favor with God. So today's message is entitled, Fixing Anatos. You see that Greek word there in my title? Legalistic churches, and today I have three, just three points, all right? Three courageous moves is what we're gonna see. And I'll be preaching the entire message of the book of Galatians with the help of God. I'm swinging for the fence. Whether I do it well, you can be the judge, okay? By the way, do you know what anaatos means? You see that in the title? That's the Greek word. Do you know what that means? I'll tell you a little bit later in the message, all right? So just make note of that, all right? So three courageous moves on how to fix legalism, and they're gonna come from the world's most famous, former, outstanding champion of legalism. His name is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. And my target for this message, just to put all the cards on the table, my target is the citadel or the fortress of your will. That's my target. I'm going after your will. And my purpose is to help all of us rid ourselves of legalism. Because this thing is so sneaky, it's in all of us, okay? So don't, don't play Bible dodgeball with me as we begin, right? No Bible dodgeball. This message is not for the person on your left or the person on your right. All right, elbows, don't, don't do the elbows flying. It's not for the person in front of you or behind you. This message is from God. Listen, it's for you. And the joy of being a lead pastor or the one preaching uh, uh, today, I get, I get to repent before you, Amen. So let's do this together, okay? Now, to get us acclimated or familiar with why this letter was written, uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, some orientation as it relates to the background of the letter. The, the letter is not addressed to a local church, like the church um, as, as is designated, like the church in Rome or the church in Corinth or a particular city like the church at Thessalonica. This letter is written to an entire region of churches, Okay, so think about that for a minute. An entire region, okay, the region of Galatia. Think about that for a second. That speaks to me that legalism is so captivating, so influential that many churches were in danger of believing a perversion of the gospel, okay? So not just one little local church problem. Many churches were in danger of flirting with or engaging in legalism. In fact, even the apostle Paul got caught up in it. Okay, that tells you how, how sneaky it is. Legalistic people were distorting Paul's preaching in all these churches. They were questioning Paul's authority throughout the entire region of Galatia. I'm such a wimp, I can imagine an entire region of churches being down on me like they were down on Paul. I would melt were it not for the weight, uh, for the grace of God under that weight. So we should thank God for the personality that we're going to see in this letter. And I'm just gonna give you a little heads up. Watch out, beloved, here it comes. We should thank God for a personality that God shaped like Paul. For the emotional makeup and fortitude of Paul that we see in this letter. Indeed, God did not send Paul into these churches or write this letter to this entire region to make his people Twinkies in a ding-dong world, that's for sure, okay? And we should model our lives after the pattern of Paul because that's exactly what God wants us to do, all right? So how do you fix legalistic churches? How do you fix people who are distorting the gospel? How do we get the legalism out of our hearts and our minds? If Peter got caught up in it, we better be wise onto this, right? Let's, let's, let's do what Paul says to do in this letter, and before I go any further, let's pray. And if you want the Lord to speak to you through my preaching, 
then ask them to do so. Right? Engage. Don't waste your time. Don't waste God's time. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, thank you as we go to your word. I pray that your power would be evident. Lord, your conviction, all that you have for your people, Lord. Help me not to say anything that would cause uh, harm to the body. Use this message and bring us to repentance. Lord, I pray for the precious person that's listening, whether in this room or online, that don't know you in a saving way. They just know about religion or religious things. Lord, that you would bring them into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, perhaps there's some people among us that they're, they're in the world and they're of the world. and They've been captivated. They're in bondage. Lord, I pray in the name of Christ, you would come and so speak to that person that you would overwhelm them with your love and your mercy and your might that they could not help but surrender to you. Only you can do these things. Without you, we can do nothing. So come and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, three. Three courageous moves. Are you ready? Number one, God's man establishes his authority to fix legalistic churches. This is the first major portion of the letter to the Galatians. Chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 21. Now, watch how God's man begins to fix legalism amongst these churches, okay? Does he begin with, well, you know, we should all just pray about it. Or, hey, we, should, we need to sing together. Or, bless God, we need to form a committee. That'll help, right? Is that, is that how God's man begins? Oh, no. What does he start with? He starts with establishing his authority. Watch this, verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Look at that. Not sent from man, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, or rather for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Amen, beloved. That's what God is doing in Christ And we're a church that's a witness of that. We've been plucked out of this current, present age. Amen? Most of the world is all evil. We're the ones that have been plucked out and saved from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now let's stop there for a second. Okay? Stop there for a second. Sometimes you can get a sense as to what's going on in the setting in in a Bible passage by not only what is written in the passage but what is not in the passage. And this is a perfect, perfect example after verse five. What do you mean, Pastor Mark? Well, up until, uh, up until verse five, Paul follows the standard procedure for how letters were written in the first century. Standard, standard, standard. And uh, it's called a salutation. In the letters of Paul, he usually uh, includes some kind of uh, affirmation in his salutation. I mean, even the, the, the difficult church at Corinth got some love, got some affirmation. Well, in this letter, nothing of the sort. No affirmation. Zero. So when you read these other letters, there's some type of affirmation. In the letters to the Galatians, no affirmation whatsoever. And that is a sign of the things to come. Let me tell you, we're going to see this in just a few moments here. They're they're about to get some serious heat, all right? Here comes the heat, verse six. Here it comes. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now watch this, verse eight and nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, He is to be accursed. Wow. You feel the heat? He continues, as we have said before, so I I now say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel to what you received, he is to be accursed. He repeats himself. Anathema is the Greek word translated, he is to be accursed. Anathema. Anathema means, you might want to write this down, it means to be damned. 
It means to go to hell. And so our English translators that were sitting on the Bible translation committee of your English Bible kind of smoothed it over a little bit, didn't they? Literally. If you're... If somebody's preaching a different gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he can go to hell. He should be damned. That's the language of the Apostle Paul. That's some serious heat. Someone might be thinking, well, I thought all curses are wrong. Well, if all curses are bad or wrong, like we see in verses 8 and 9, then God is bad and wrong, and you're not going to charge God with being bad or wrong, are you? I'm not. This should cause everybody to say not amen. It should cause everybody to say, gulp, oh me. Now, why would Paul say this? Why such the strong language? And believe me, this is only the beginning. Does he need an, an anger management class? You know, a little personality problem here, right? Why the strong words? What's driving him to pronounce a curse? The next verse tells us, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Oh, do you see the motive? Am I, am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So you see what's going, here. God, what's going on here. God's man establishes his authority to fix the legalistic mess. Paul's authority written down in the letter should be our authority to fix the legalism in our hearts and in our own minds because it's inspired by God. That's the first courageous move. Here's the second courageous move. Number two, God's man establishes his theology to fix legalistic churches. So authority, number two, theology. And so chapter three begins with some seriously heated language. If you were offended by what we just saw, uh-oh, get ready. Chapter 3, seriously emotionally charged language. Paul is upset. Paul is shocked. Paul is angry. They are all flirting with and engaging in legalism. And he's a wonderful model for elders and for all church members. In other words, we should take note and be heated over what God's man gets heated about. We should be emotionally charged over what God's man gets emotionally charged about. And what, in this context, does God's man get heated about? Legalism. Legalism. As I said in the beginning, Paul uses the word uh, anoetos twice. And it's at the very beginning of chapter 3. So let's go to chapter 3 together. And we're going to see some very disturbing language. Now, before I roll out verse 1, there was a true story of some years ago of a pastor who found the roads blocked one winter Sunday morning. All right? We don't have that problem in Texas, right? A snow problem where <laughs> Lake Louisville is frozen, right? Well, th it, this, this uh, wintry storm forced the pastor to skate on the river in order to get to the church, which he did. And when he arrived, the elders of the church, not the deacons, not the Sunday school teachers, not a committee, the elders of the church were horrified that their preacher, are you ready, had skated on the Lord's Day. <gasps> After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained that it was, that it was either uh, skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one elder asked, did you enjoy it? The preacher said no, and then the elder board decided, well, it was okay then because he didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you know, there's a good word that summarizes all that. You ready? It's the meaning of the Greek word in my title, and this is the word. Stupid! Absolutely, utterly stupid! Anaatas means stupid. Stupid. So the title of the series that's overarching uh, the series for this month is Fixing Stupid Legalistic Churches. How biblical can you get? 
people who say the Bible is boring are not reading the Bible. <laughs> They're not reading it. Now, it, it is fascinating to notice the various looks on your faces. I mean, it's everything from to, oh yeah, give, it, give them the word of God, oh yeah. It's fascinating. Look at verse three. Oh, Anatoy Galatai. Is the Baptist preacher speaking in tongues? No, not plural, just spoke to you in the Greek language. Oh, Anatoy Galatai. Translated literally, Oh, you stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He repeats himself, verse 3, Are you so stupid? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Hear the word of the Lord. Those that served on the English Bible Translation Committee that produced our English Bible may have had some legalism in them, may have been offended by the original inspired words of God because most of them chose a less offensive English word than stupid. Most English Bibles have, like unfortunately the NASB, you foolish Galatians, right? It's a little bit more tempered down, you foolish Galatians, right? But it's literally, oh, you stupid Galatians. The Greek alphabet has 24 letters. The sentence in verse 1, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 3, starts with the Greek letter omicron. It's comparable to our little letter O, right? So in English, when we use the word O in a sentence, it's like, oh, my word, right? Or, oh, no, or, oh, do, oh dear people, it is an interjection used in address and emotion. It indicates this section of the letter is highly charged emotionally. The KJV, the, KJ, the NKJV, the RSV, the ESV, the NLT have it. The NIV, the HCSB, the CSB, the NASB, the NCV do not have it. Yeah, I did some homework before I got up here, amen. When you think about how chapter three unfolds, one way to summarize it is this. Theology fixes stupidity. Anybody want to say amen to that? <laughs> Did I hear no? <laughs> Adam and Eve were literally put in the perfect environment and how long did it take for them to mess that up? When you read it naturally, probably day one. Again, in the perfect environment, no sin, and they messed it up. God says, if you sin, you will die, and what did they do? <laughs> they sinned, and it's the same silliness and stupidity about us, right? We sin, therefore we die. How stupid is that of us, right? There is seriously something mentally deficient in us that we would hear a clear command from a holy, loving, righteous, good God, and we say, no. And that good, righteous God is also not only uh, uh, blesses us with the command, this good God warns us what will happen if you break the command. And so we say, no to this good God. I don't want to hear this word from you. I am going to do like the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right, remember, in their own eyes. So you line up sex, you line up marriage, you line up work, you line up uh, uh, vacations, you line up hobbies, you line up everything in your life. And we carve out Oh, this might be okay. Uh, who are you to tell me about my sex life? Uh, just the God who created you, maybe he knows something. <laughs> amen. By the way, sex is a wonderful gift by God. Can I get an amen for that? All the legalistic people are saying, did he just say sex? Oh, no, did he just say sex in the pulpit? Oh, no, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I love you. I'm just, pro I'm just prodding a little bit. It's a lot less than the Apostle Paul. You stupid gully, right? 
I'm telling you what, I would have loved to hear, can you imagine hearing Paul preach? Oh my word. So good. So good. Salvation is from sin. Sin is stupid. Therefore, salvation, we're being saved from our stupidity. You, you follow the logic? And it can be evident, this silliness, this legalism, it can be evident in the best of men from a human perspective, like an apostle, the apostle Peter. It's so, it's so convicting. Peter, yeah, like the guy that was with Jesus for three years, that denied him not once, not twice, but three times, that same Peter that God restored after denying uh, the Christ with cursings. I don't blankety blank know the man in front of a slave girl. And that same gracious God through Jesus Christ, his son, restores someone that fell like that and said, yeah, be one of my apostles. That Peter is the guy that got sucked up in all this legalism stuff. And if it wasn't for a strong guy and personality figure like Paul, what would have happened to the church of God? Ooh, oh yeah. Listen to me and listen very carefully. There is always, God has ordained it, there is always a point man in the room that God has sent to fix the mess. There's always a point man. It's never by committee. There's a point man. And here it's on full display full display now Paul is very cognizant about his tone he's very cognizant about it he's not dumb okay his tone is for a reason in other words when we hear or when we read oh you stupid Galatians that's for a reason beloved right and when he repeats himself and says a second time oh you stupid uh, Galatians that's for a reason and what do you think that reason is? Well, if it's not clear by now, here, here's the reason why. They were being dumb about the gospel. They were being silly about the gospel. And I think why, I was telling this to Monica this morning, uh, I think why Paul is so like charged up, right? He's angry, he's shocked, is because this is exactly what God had gloriously saved him out of. He's the champion legalist of the world. He far exceeded his uh, other uh, contemporaries in Judaism. What was that one letter that he wrote? Concerning the law, quote, blameless. Nobody's higher in Judaism than Paul to the degree that he's like a Taliban man and he's persecuting the church, he's pursuing the church, he's throwing them in jail and he's applauding and holding the coats for people who are killing church members. Perfect prime candidate for a Christian. <laughs> the guy is so religious and legalistic. Perfect prime example for God to pluck up and say, excuse me, you're done with that. You're gonna be my point man for the whole Gentile world. And he's, he's, Paul was bent on persecution and the glorious risen Christ sees Paul. He doesn't show up and say, gee, will you please exercise your free will? I'm looking for people to help me to get saved. He just shows up in all of his glory, blinded his eyes. Had to, uh, he had an eye issue for the rest of his life because he saw Jesus Christ. Who are you, Lord? That's what he said. We got such a dumbed down cotton candy view of God the Almighty. Nobody fears God anymore these days. All they're hearing from the pulpit is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Or, God, God loves everyone unconditionally. Really? Read the Bible. There is a God with whom we must deal with and he is holy and he has warned us judgment's coming. Hell is for real but I love you enough to send you the rescue. His name is Jesus, my only son. What kind of a God gives up his only son for dirty, rotten sinners like me and you? This God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God who speaks to us through this letter. So ultimately, if people continue to add or rely on anything but the good news of Jesus Christ, in order to gain or maintain favor with God, they are seriously stupid people. 
dumb, only dumb people go to hell in this context, okay? Don't be dumb. Don't be silly. Legalistic people are as such. Now, here's another thing about tone, okay? It's the very tone that the Spirit of the living God is producing in Paul, okay? The tone is in parts, uh, Paul's heart and mind, and the tone is in the letter, okay? In other words, this challenges your understanding of what the, the Bible is. Is it just a book of literature among other religious literature? It's inspired by God, so the whole stupid language that you might be aghast at, yeah, that's God's word, right? I, I get this, I get this. So, so don't play dodgeball with the Bible. Don't play Bible dodgeball. I'm an expert at Bible dodgeball, okay? Here's how the dodgeball goes. Well, Paul is not Jesus. He's a man, okay? And in this case, he's in the flesh, He's sinning because he is uh, angry and he calls them stupid, okay? That is just so rude to call someone stupid, okay? Not only is it rude, it's also very divisive, okay? Very divisive. So Paul is not being gentle at all. I mean, didn't he write something in another letter about you're supposed to speak the truth in love or you're supposed to correct with gentleness, Okay? The person thinking like that is standing over the Bible, okay? They're asserting their sense of morality over God's man, the Apostle Paul. So listen very carefully. That kind of thinking is another way of denying the authority of Paul as an apostle. The word apostle means sent, uh, one who is sent, and in this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the problem is not actually with Paul nor his language. Actually, if you have a problem with Paul and his language, you have a problem with the God who sent him. See that? That's how it lines up. That's why he establishes his authority first. Now he's establishing his theology. Another thing about this tone in the letter, not only does he express the most intense emotional uh, language in the entire New Testament except for Jesus... Talk about tone. We can pull out some tone from Jesus, right? He talks about his tone. In other words, Galatians 4.20. Have you ever read this? Quote, I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Towards the end, chapter 4, verse 20, I could wish to be present with you and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul is very cognizant about his tone. Again, Inspired by God. Now, I mentioned the theology of the letter. Let's go to the heart of it, okay? This is really the heart of the theology of the letter, and we'll get into it in more detail. This is just the, the overview message, 30,000 feet. Okay, let's go to verse 14 of chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Listen to the pages of the Bible being turned. Wow, that's awesome. My preaching professor would be very proud to hear that. Oh, Dr. Ben Aubrey, love that brother. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who is Cephas? Peter, Peter. I said to Peter in the presence of all, quote, if you, being like a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. All right, let's stop there. So what's going on here, Pastor Mark? Here's what's going on. It's as if Peter was having ham sandwiches on Wednesday night supper with the Gentile brothers and sisters, and then on Sunday, he would not fellowship with them because they were passing the bacon in Sunday school class. That's what's going on. And this brings us to the very essence of the theology of the letter, which is verse 16, the very center of the theology, which is the very center of our salvation. Verse 16, this is so good, oh man. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Wow, <laughs> there it is, beloved. That's the heart of the letter, 
This is what's at stake. This has Paul heated. This has Paul angry. This has Paul shocked. How many times does it say that we're justified by faith or through faith in Christ in verse 16? Not once, not twice, three times. How many times does it say that we're justified by faith uh, or through faith in Christ? Twice. So negatively, how many times does it say we're not justified by works of the law? Three times. Positively, how many times does it say what we are justified by faith through Christ? Two times. Listen, beloved. Listen. This is what I ask members. This is what I ask uh, uh, Miss Debbie, right? They come to the membership class. I ask it in different ways, different settings. If you should stand before God, which we're all going to do one day, right? Everybody know that? You can deny God all you want to for the rest of your life, but guess what? All of us are going to die, and what happens after that, you're going to have a one-on-one meeting with God in judgment, okay? You can huff and puff and deny all you want. That's what's going to happen. So if you, should, if you should stand before a holy God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say to him? What would you say to him? And what I heard this morning was so precious, so precious, faith in Jesus Christ. I have heard things like baptism, church attendance, Bible study. We're not justified by how long we pray, how short you pray, how many times you fast, right? How long you fast, financial giving, spreading the gospel, not by missions. Listen, listen, we are made right with God, which is that, that's what the word justified is. We're made right with God one way and one way only, and it's through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his burial, his ascension, and his soon return, that's the only way. And, and, and legalism tends to seep in and crawl in because part of the seductive voice uh, uh, whispers things like, well, and, and this too, and this too. And those are usually good things. And they, they can be damnable things if it's Jesus plus fill in the blank, right? It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's it. Praise God. Praise God. God's man, he establishes his authority to fix the mess. He also establishes his theology to fix the mess. Number three, and then I'm done. And all God's people said, amen. Good. Well, maybe not. Number three, God's man establishes his morality to fix legalistic churches. Man, I'm a little bit nervous. Do I actually share what the word of God says in this, pa- this passage that I've chosen? Maybe I'll chicken out and save it for next week. No? What do you think I should do? Should I, should I be a coward in the pulpit? Do you really want what the word of God says? Oh, Jesus, help me. So when I say morality here, it's basically, that's what theology applied is, okay? This is frequent with Paul. You study his letters from 30,000 feet. It's filled with indicative verbs in the first half of the letter. God has done this in Christ. Second half of the letter, imperative verbs. Indicative verbs, imperative verbs. An imperative means what? It's like a command, right? So this is like, the uh, uh, applied theology portion of the letter. Let's begin in chapter 5 in verse 1. Here it comes. I wonder if anybody will leave the church after I explain this. You know? I mean, what kind of church are we building up in here? Amen? We may not be a large church, but with the help of God, we're going to be a strong church. Amen. And we still have issues, right? I mean, look who's preaching. Monica, you say amen? What's that? Okay. Verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Why did he say that? Because they weren't doing that. They were being subject again. 
Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Why would he say that? There's Judaizers running around the churches of Galatia say, okay, yeah, yay for Jesus and be circumcised. Yay for Jesus and be circumcised in order to obtain or maintain favor with God. Verse three, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep, what? The whole law. Oh, oh, you wanna go there? You wanna go with circumcision? Ha <laughs> ha, guess what? You gotta do all of it tithing preachers like to talk about tithing oh yeah let's go tithing a lot of preachers don't they just say 10 percent old testament 33 percent you want to go there yeah 33 percent old testament old covenant now something happened with the death of jesus verse four you have been severed from christ look at that strong language you've been severed from christ you've been cut off basically you who are seeking to be justified by law you have fallen from grace for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, uh, uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now here comes the bomb. But if I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even, and in the NASB, mutilate themselves. Now, in the context of Galatians, what does that mean? Verse 12. Well, quite frankly, I'm shocked that this language is in the Bible. Some Jews are saying, yeah, you can have Jesus, but you better be circumcised in order to be right with God. And Paul says about those kind of people, hey, why stop with the foreskin? I wish they would cut it all off. That's what he's saying in verse 12. Why stop with what you just do in circumcision? Cut it all off. Not a lot of amens after that. I get it. That's the, exactly the meaning of verse 12. What do you, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. The 11th commandment is being utterly obliterated by the Apostle Paul in this letter. The 11th commandment that reigns supreme in many churches is the first commandment oftentimes for legalists. And what is that? Thou shalt be nice. Thou shalt be nice. And this letter to the Galatians is being utterly, that 11th commandment is being utterly obliterated because the gospel's at stake. The gospel's at stake. So, do you see how the letter lines up? How do you fix that which is seeping in to the churches, and in this case with the church at, uh, or the, the churches in Galatia, it's legalism. It's adding to the work of Christ. And so what Paul does in the first part is he establishes his authority, and he comes out of the gate hot and heavy, does he not? Anybody preaching something different than I preached to you, he can go to hell. I'll repeat myself. If any man is preaching to you a different gospel other than the one that I preached to you, he can go to hell. He'll be damned. What a loving man of God. Because if he doesn't use this strong language, they're gonna continue in their legalism and be cut off from Christ. See how loving that is? It's very loving. How gracious of him. Now, is it coming in a stinging form? Yeah. Welcome to the warfare. By the way, uh, I forgot where I got this, but I understand that the, the Galatians, the people living in Galatians, uh, they were particularly hard-headed people. You know? Like, people in Boston, they have a little flavor of, you know, the Bostonians, and New Yorkers, they have a flavor. We kind of have a... a, a 
uh, a picture of what a New Yorker is like, right? Or in Florida, what comes to your mind? What are Floridians like? Well, actually, being born and raised in Florida, it depends if you're in North Florida, Central Florida, or South Florida. <laughs> but you get the gist? Like, people are known in certain regions for characteristics. And in Galatia, those people, they use very tough language, and they were very hard-headed, thick-necked. So what's God bringing? He's bringing the heat. He's speaking the language, right? Sorry, that was my attempt at Italian. John, I probably bailed. I got Irish in me, so sorry. So big picture, you see, what the, you see how it's lining up the letter. He establishes his authority. He establishes his theology. And now the, the third and final section, he's establishing his morality. His morality. Charles Spurgeon said, I have found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. It's Charles Spurgeon. He was speaking in the context of devotions and people telling him how, how long he should be in devotions or when he should get up and do devotions. I mean, do you, do you not, when you, when you hear some of the um, biographies of the men that God have used in a great way, like Martin Luther, where he says he has so much to do, he's like getting up at 3 a.m., you know, for three hours to spend time with God because he has a lot to do, you know? So are you all getting up at 3 a.m.? Are you all doing 3 3 a.m. devotions for three hours? Huh? (laughs) Right? You're all in sin then. You all need to be getting up and spending more time with Jesus. See, See how that... The more times, uh, Spurgeon said, I have found in my own spirit, the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. That's how legalism works. Another way legalism works is that uh, it tends to create in people the thought that they're not legalistic. Right? Again, don't play dodgeballs. We go through this for the month of September. Okay? I'm not preaching to the back wall. The paint has no need to repent. Amen. Right? Ooh, shot to the heart, arrow to the heart. The famous Greek scholar, Dr. A.T. Robertson, once wrote an article for a Southern Baptist state magazine. And in this particular article, he described the conduct of the biblical man named Diotrephes from 3 John. Does anybody know, ever heard of Diotrephes in 3 John? If not, go read that. It's a real small letter, okay? And so you got this Greek scholar, New Testament scholar, breaking down the life of Diotrephes out of 3 John. And in that letter, the apostle John is calling out Diotrephes. Well, guess what happened? The response to that letter in this Southern Baptist State magazine, 25 deacons from various Baptist churches wrote into the editor, literally canceling their subscriptions because they said that Dr. Robertson's was writing about them. (laughs) <laughs> that is hilarious. How did he know that about? How did he? He's, he's just giving up the word of God. You know what that's called? It's called conviction. It's called conviction. So as I close below, let's not be like, ah, it's difficult to say. Let's not be like Peter in this way. Let's not be like the 25 deacons in this way. Right? God's word is sufficient for the needs of God's people. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's how we're saved. So as I, as I come to a close, listen, have you ever come to a place where you're just trusting Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save you? Or are you, are you, are you trusting in your own sense of morality? Are you literally going to say to God, you know, I, I didn't kill anybody while I was on planet Earth. That should be good enough. Like, really? You must be perfect in order to get into a perfect place. And the Bible's very clear. There is none righteous, no, not one. So, from, so turn from sin and turn to Christ and submit to him. He's the way. He's the way maker, Right? He's the one that gives us salvation. He's the one that will lead us into eternal life. You do nothing to be saved. Jesus Christ has done everything on the cross. Everything. 
How dare we bring anything up and match it with or, or add to the precious, priceless blood of Jesus Christ? That rich, red, royal blood. Only through the blood of Christ are we cleansed from sin. Do you believe that? I'm asking you, church. Are you trusting in that and that alone? How precious this is to Paul. How precious the gospel is to us. Let's be quick to repent of any legalism in our lives, whether by thought or by deed. Would you pray with me? How has the Lord touched you? How has he confronted you? Praise God for the life and the power that is found in God's word. Has it touched you? Or is the Lord passing you by? Can you really leave untouched by what you just heard? So do business with God before you leave. I'm not going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I'm not going to ask you to uh, walk down an aisle. I'm not going to ask you to greet me up front. What I'm asking you is this. Have you surrendered to God by coming to faith in Jesus and trusting him and him alone? Receive his love and his grace and his mercy. You might be thinking, Mark, I am in a jacked up situation right now. I don't know what to do. I'm in a, I'm confused. I know where I'm at is wrong. I don't know how to get out of it. It's okay. Come to Jesus. He'll pull you out. He'll help you. And he, listen, he will satisfy your soul like none other can. So surrender to him. Say, God, I'm done fighting you. I'm done. I believe. Save me. Forgive me. Lead me. Set me free. Thank you, Father, for your words. Thank you for this assembly, this church. And we bless your name, God. We bless your name. Amen.